All the way from Bokota Village in Limpopo, South Africa, we bring you Missionary Minds, where you can learn about family, church history, biblical worldview issues, and of course, missions. And today in the studio, I have the pleasure of having with me Brother Seth Myers, who is a missionary to the Tongas of Limpopo, South Africa, a teammate of Buripol, and he has been a missionary here for 19 years. And uh, it's a blessing to just converse with this man and his vast value of knowledge, both from reading and from experience. Brother, as I think about our conversation today and as I was planning it, there are many people who don't even have missions on their radar. They are either in churches or had upbringings where missions wasn't spoken about, isn't a thing. They don't have missionaries that they support, so they don't really think about it. And so I want to have a conversation around missions, and the first question would be the definition of missions surrounding it. So can you help us out? What is missions? What is missions? Um, Paul said in Colossians 2, verse 1, many of you have not seen my face. So now Paul is writing a letter to people, most of whom who had never seen him. That's in chapter 2, verse 1 of the letter to the Colossians. In the first chapter of that letter, Paul says, you actually learned the gospel from a man named Epaphras. And if you look at every time the word, the name Epaphras is found in scripture, you can piece together a story that goes something like this. While Paul was planting churches, a man named Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul, was converted, went back to his city of Colossae, and he told other people, not for pay, he wasn't supported by the church in Jerusalem, he received nothing financial or from a physical perspective from anyone else, but he told so many people, and he told them so persuasively that they actually decided to begin meeting. And in the letter to Philemon, the names that are recorded in that letter are also recorded in the letter to the Colossians. And it implies, strongly implies, that the leaders of the Colossian church were Philemon's pastors or Philemon's pastors. And it says Philemon had the church meet in his house. That story is missions. That's what missions is. I can give a diagnostic, I can give an analytical, I can give an affectionate, I can give an exegetical, but that may be most helpful. It's people who were entirely unchristian, made Christian into churches. That's helpful, brother. And I love how you used an example in scripture that many people either wouldn't be familiar with or wouldn't have thought of if they think of missions in scripture, the focal point tends to be on uh, Paul. But now looking at the life of Epaphras and how that played out is... In- Do you think that there's much emphasis on Paul? It, I'm not sure there is. Maybe there is. Maybe I'm, I'm uneducated un- on this. My experience growing up, I grew up in a Baptist church in the U.S. in Pennsylvania. And my experience was I did not realize all that Paul meant toward missions until I got out and started preaching verse by verse through Acts when I was 27 years old in South Africa um, to a group of teenagers. 
And it was then that I really began taking the Apostle Paul seriously. And since then, I'm finding others who take him very seriously. But I wonder if it's that common. But maybe it is common. Uh, Keep going. I cut you off. Uh, So um, can you unpack that a bit? How does someone uh, think around them being that person? If they, uh, let's say they live among a people that are generally unchristianed, unchristianized, untaught about the Lord Jesus, if they just go and speak to their neighbor, does that become missions? Or does missions uh, involve going to the other side of the world? Let's step back then again to the Great Commission. I just pulled an example from the epistles, not necessarily from the life of Paul, from a man named Epaphras, although you could take Philemon as well. But let's step, let's step 30 years backward or 25 some years backward to our Lord's life when he gave the Great Commission that is famous, I hope, for all listeners, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature as the gospel according to Mark records it. Or so send I you as the Father hath sent me, as John records it, or as Luke records it, uh, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and then again just a few weeks or maybe days later in Acts chapter 1, you'll be witnesses to me beginning in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, and then most famously perhaps Maybe Mark's the most famous, but perhaps it's Matthew. Matthew's account where he says, go into all the world and make disciples, or as the King James says, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I think if you look at those, I, I made a chart of those five accounts and then listed all their similarities and all their differences. And it's actually fascinating. If you're listening to this and you care about the topic, go do that. Make a chart with those five passages. It's the the very end of each of the books and the beginning of the book of Acts. So very simple to find. List out on one page similarities between all the accounts. Then turn the page over. List the accounts at the top in five columns, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And then list differences. It's remarkably instructive. I can tell you if you want or we can go, move on to another question. Please, please, do tell us about them. Uh, it, it, what, what the, what's interesting is that each of those gospel accounts has a different emphasis. So when our Lord speaks to Matthew, or when Matthew records the words that our Lord spoke, we have a method. There's a string of verbs. You don't find those in the other accounts. Uh, for example, in Acts, you're going to find a string of geography. In Mark, you're going to have adventure, action. And in each of those, in John, remarkably, it's, there's something like life. Maybe what Kierkegaard would refer to with this, uh, with this impassioned devotion. Um, that's what John kind of records uh, with the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. So send I you, oh, with the Holy Spirit. But that's John's emphasis. And interestingly, Matthew, let's just start there. Well, let me, let me start, rather start with how are they similar? Then if you want, we can talk about the differences between the accounts. But how are they similar? They're similar in this. They set in front of us something that is so massive. I think it's the most complicated enterprise that could be devised. 
Years ago, I read a book by Jay Richards. He's an economist, and I guessed from his writing, Presbyterian, although I don't know. The book was entitled Money, Greed, and God, and it's a thoughtful book. It's a defense of capitalism by taking 10 key questions. I think it's 10 questions. Each question becomes a chapter. And then he tries to defend capitalism, since it should be defended. And he says in there that he believes the modern economy, a modern economy is the most complex thing in the world. And then he compares it to things in creation, like the human eye with its rods and its cones, or the human cell. And he says, I think actually a modern economy is more complex. And I've reflected on that for years. I teach a course on economics. and. I've quoted that before, but when I began preparing to lecture on missions and prepare a manuscript on missions, my reflection and study made me say, I think actually Jay Richards was saying modern economies are the most complicated because that's what he was writing about. (laughs) Now that I'm writing about missions, I actually want to say missions is the most complex. And that's what you see when you see all of those accounts. For example, in Acts, going to um, Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. So you're going to have to conquer all geography. Then in Mark, go to every creature. That's a lot of creatures. And then in Matthew, there's a four-step process. There's got to be the going and the teaching and the baptizing and the teaching them to do all things. Uh, Or there's different verbs there. I made the two similar verbs and making disciples and then baptizing and and then teach them all things. The, every one of the presentations shows us this is a very monumental task. I believe it's the most difficult task that could be given to man, which is why, again, it's not given to a man. It's given to the church. So that when our Lord says, I will be with you to the end of the age, it's a plural you, not speaking, spoken only to the disciples. But as he said a few weeks earlier, I pray not for them only, but for all those who will believe on me through their word. He was praying for the whole church. And then a few weeks later, when he gives the Great Commission, he's saying, I will be with all of you. Those ones that I prayed for, I'm going to be with all of you to the end of the world. So it's given to the church, and I think that shows us how complicated it is. At least it points in that direction. Yeah. And so if we're speaking about the church there, and there's, let's say, someone who hasn't heard about missions before or really thought about it, and they have this burning in their chest, it's very feasible that someone like that may be listening to this podcast, and they say, I want to be a missionary, I want to do this, Um, but they're thinking of just grabbing their Bible, their rations, and going out into the wild. What would you say to that kind of person? concerning the church? Uh, I think, first of all, I'd say there's not many people like that. So if you're listening to this, more than likely, you fall into the camp where you need to pray and ask God, give me a heart that you have. Make my heart like yours. So you said, what would I say to that group of people? I happen to think that group of people is small. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're all listening to this podcast. I don't know. But if you're listening to this podcast and, and you're not quite there yet, You say, well, I mean, I'm interested. That's why I'm listening. Why don't you pray and ask God to give you more of a zeal, the kind of zeal he has, so that even if you don't go to learn to speak another language, perhaps um, 
you can be more involved in your church or more interested or raise your kids to go. Because we, we are in need of more workers. We have one story on that before I even answer your question. <laughs> I'm not answering. Uh, I've been here, I finished 19 years on the 19th of June. So it's two weeks or so from now. And that's 19 years that I've, I've been among the Tsongas trying to learn their language and speak to them. And we have had three Americans come here during that time. Two of them have gone back. Um, so Paul and I are here planting churches among the Tsonga people. There's six million or seven million, depending on the estimate you take. Millions of people. And very few people are, are willing. And, and we, we have running water. We have electricity. We have a cell phone. And yet, people aren't, people aren't willing. So I think, that they, I think that people need to pray and ask God, make me willing. I'm seeing that not many are interested. Uh, my son is very eager to go. And his concern is, Dad, where am I going to find a girl who wants to go? And uh, there, there's probably uh, young men. And probably more women thinking that. So, I think we need to pray for that and foster that fire. I don't think I answered your question. Now, go ahead. No, but I'm enjoying the way the conversation is developing. Because, okay, we've... Um, I want to backtrack a bit. And we spoke about... I implied it in my question. Going off into the wild. And uh, you implied it as well. Um, with people coming to this place. But... How far does someone have to go for them to qualify as a missionary? Do you have to cross uh, language and geographical barriers, or uh, what? What counts as a missionary? You're you're feeding me the answer in the question. <laughs> um, uh, I'm working a manuscript on missions. I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, um, or it be published. But I have an hour or two hours of introductory material. So I'm trying to squeeze that into questions like this. <laughs> so keep pushing for a definition, and eventually I'll get around to it. <laughs> um, a missionary is someone who crosses cultures to plant churches. So there's got to be a crossing. There's got to be a barrier changing. And there's got to be a focus on your job of planting churches. And I say that because I'm the great authority who gets to decide everything. No, not at all. I say that because those, those are the words that our Lord said. I'll just take Matthew 28 because it's the first passage, but you can prove it from Matthew 28 or other passages as well. Matthew 28, go. Go there is a participle while you are going. While you're going or in the act of going or using this going as a platform, make disciples of all the nations. There's the, there's the command. There's the imperative. Make the disciples. The Great Commission is a commission to make disciples, but it's a kind of, it's a kind of disciple making that is not done nearby. It is a kind of disciple-making that requires a going. The going is described by our Lord in that same context as a going to all nations. And that Greek word nations is ethne, from which we get ethnicity. A going to the ethnicities. If someone says, well, I live in Chicago. There's ethnicities all around me, so I'll just, I'll just start a Polish church speaking English, then I would say, did you, did you cross a cultural boundary? Did you cross a language boundary? What language are you using? Did you cross a geographical boundary? Interestingly, in the Bible, they crossed all three, cultural, geographic, and um, 
language, linguistic barrier. So those examples are going to be found in the book of Acts 13 to 21, when you'll see the examples of what Paul was crossing. But we've got to get it firmly set in our minds that missions is what Jesus said and what Paul did. So I like giving multiple definitions for a thing. So one definition, what is missions? It's what Epaphras did. What is missions? It's what Jesus said and what Paul did. What is missions? Crossing cultures to plant churches. What is missions? Missions is the work and lifeblood of the church. You can define it in different ways, and there's other definitions that could be given to it, but I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make it exegetically solid, but something you put in your pocket and not forget. You can talk about someone, talk to someone about this definition. So pick any of those, and you'll come out at the same place at the end. Okay. And as you are mentioning the language there, I've sometimes w- wondered about that. If we look at Paul's life, was there much in the way of crossing a language? Is that an essential component of the definition or the mission's work? If someone is just going to a very different community than they are in, does the language necessarily matter that much? If you don't cross language, you're not going to someplace very different. If they have the same language, then they have the same worldview. John McWhorter is an unbelieving linguist from California. He wrote a book on, um, it's got a funny title. It's uh, Doing Our Own Thing, The Public Degradation of Language and Why We Should Like Care. <laughs> and McWhorter argues in there that, that language carries culture. And I agree with that. That's why there's fight over dictionaries. Who gets to, who gets to be in control of dictionaries? Language controls your worldview. It's, it's a byproduct of your religion. Now, perhaps you have one religion that operates over multiple languages, but there's a lot in a language. The way you imagine the world, the metaphors that you use are bodied up in a language. Tsongi uses chela. Chela means to pour. They'll say, did you pour a SIM card into your phone? Poor Chela. I can't say that idiom in, song, in English. I can't say, pour another, another um, um, USB port. You, you can't do that. But you can Chela in Tonga. Because the idioms control the way you think. And it's like that for every language. Every language is going to have some kind of idiom. Okay, Venda has Wasajipa. Uh, if you don't lie, you're going to marry your sister. I don't know of that proverb in Songa, but that's in Chivenda. If you don't lie, you're going to marry your sister. Meaning, you better be clever, and you better do everything you have to do to make sure you get a good wife. Otherwise, you're going to get someone that you're really unsatisfied with. Now, I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying that's part of what makes up the superstructure of their culture. If you don't cross a barrier, that if you don't cross a cultural barrier, then I ask you, what kind of a barrier did you cross? But in Mark it says, go to all creatures. In Matthew it says, um, in Matthew it says, uh, all nations. Luke it says, all nations. Acts it gives four geographical boundaries, including the uttermost part of the earth. One more thing on Mark. Mark says, go to all creatures, but doesn't he also say, these signs will follow those who believe. They will speak with new languages. They're going to be speaking with new languages. Those are earthly languages. Everyone agrees in Mark 16, those are earthly languages. 
Everyone agrees in Acts chapter 2 those are earthly languages. What are those necessary for? They're included in the Great Commission because when you go out in the Great Commission, you're going to have to be going to language groups. And that's exactly what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 14. I think it's verse 21. Doesn't he say, I thank God that I speak with languages more than any of you? Why did he speak with languages more than any of us? Oh, because he was constantly changing language groups. And before someone says, no, 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 no. They were in the Greco-Roman world. They all spoke Greek. They all spoke Latin. Oh, really? Then why is it that there are 16 language groups listed in Acts chapter 2, and all of those geographic boundaries are within the Greco-Roman world? But the language groups are listed from within the Greco-Roman world, and these are all Jews. There's 16 different Jewish language groups in the Greco-Roman world. You don't think also, man, perhaps there's a, there's a trade language, like English would be a trade language here in South Africa. But if you want to plant churches among the Tongas, you can't speak a trade language. You need to speak their language, the language that they dream in, the language of their metaphors. Otherwise, you won't be able to give the metaphors like to be redeemed, which is a metaphor, to be justified, to be delivered from sin, the lake of fire, the book of life. These kind of images uh, are only going to be communicated if you can speak to someone in their language. That's very helpful. And if we move on a little from the language component of missions to the geographical component. So you speak of, well, we're thinking of crossing some degree of... Thank you for joining us for part one of three of this episode of Missionary Minds. To listen to part two, please join us next week on Missions Monday.